Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Our guest today is Bianca Amos, host of the Once Broken Podcast. Bianca and I met virtually after she recommended my podcast through her own platform. We recognized our life experiences dovetailed in a few ways and knew that recording an episode together would be a great opportunity to explore the conversations further. So today we're going to be talking about what Bianca's personal experience was like moving from Jamaica to Canada, why she made the decision to move, and how she continues to chart her path amidst the chaos of a global pandemic. Bianca, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners before we get started? Hi. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, I definitely feel that connection. Like I felt it from the very day I came across your podcast. I was like, this girl is so cool and I must get to know her. So a little bit about me. Um, as you mentioned, I am originally from Jamaica. Um, I lived there for the first 25 years of my life. And then I migrated to Canada. And um I, as you mentioned, I also have a podcast, um, which I started last year, the Once Broken Podcast, where we just have conversations about healing and redemption and finding ourselves and becoming the best versions of ourselves. And um, yes, I'm just loving that. And I'm so excited to speak with you and to share my story with your audience today. You, you know, you shared that you're from Jamaica and you moved to Canada, obviously, um, somewhat recently. About how long have you been an, in Toronto, right? You're in Toronto now? I actually moved from Jamaica to a place in Ontario, Canada called North Bay. Okay. Which is like, just picture moving from the tropics to a place where it's minus 40 for six months. <laughs> so that was my life because I moved I moved here in the fall of 2014. Okay. And pretty much there was no fall weather. Like when I got to North Bay, it was already snowing in September. I immediately started to question like, what did I get myself into? And now remind me, did you move yourself there for a job or was it school? I moved for a job. Uh, so I actually got a job offer from Jamaica to work with an organization that uh, supports people with intellectual disabilities. I got that job and I thought, this is, this, this is such an amazing opportunity. Growing up in Jamaica, where opportunities are limited, um, to say the least, you just have a couple of options career-wise. And if you're not the lucky, one of the lucky ones that gets that job straight out of university, then Jamaicans have a way of saying dog meow meow supper, which means, <laughs> oh my God, like, we don't know what's going to happen to you. Because, you know, like, if you can't find a job, there is no unemployment check coming. There is no support from the gov. There is nothing. So you're pretty much just toast. So I was in Jamaica and I had a job. I had a pretty good job that I landed straight out of high school. I was working with uh, Scotiabank for seven and a half years and I was just no longer feeling fulfilled in my life. Like I was a lending officer. So we're talking, I'm processing loans and credit cards and mortgages. And a lot of times I kind of felt like I wasn't really helping people. Like I was kind of ripping them off because of these targets that I had. So the amount of money that I had to bring into the bank on a weekly basis and the things that I had to do and the way I had to position these credit cards in order to get people to take them. And I just didn't feel fulfilled. And um, I saw the opportunity to work with this organization in Canada. And I just thought, you know what, like this could open the door to opportunity. It really feels like an overall failure of humanity that we we funnel people sort of into these ideas of like what should be the the direction that you go and professionally speaking that we you know need to seek out a specific type of education or a specific type of of work uh, because that's going to give us the most potential. But then you sort of get to a point where you're like, well, is my potential 
actually supposed to be directed this way or should it be directed towards something else? And when you don't have that fulfillment, like we don't coach people to seek that fulfillment. So you see a lot of people who are really talented in different ways, never really reaching that potential because they're worried about security. They're worried about being able to make a life for themselves. When you got to that point where you realized you weren't feeling fulfilled, what was it that you were seeking? So ever since I was a little girl, I would fall asleep imagining like different stories in my mind. I was like watching a movie that I made up as I went to sleep. And I was always that person who was sitting outside looking all melancholy. <laughs> like you would have felt sorry for me if you saw me as a kid, like writing poems, writing stories, just doing all of these creative things. And I never thought that I could ever make a living doing it. I just always saw these things as hobbies, just things that I enjoyed doing. But I never thought I could pursue a career in that because I wasn't taught that as a kid. I was taught that I needed to either choose to be in the financial sector or I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to be a teacher. And that was it. Uh, Funny story. At one point, I was obsessed with doing hair. I told my mom, I think I want to be a hairdresser. I think I want to own my own business. And I was told people don't go to go to school to become hairdressers. Like, why are you in school then? If you if that's what you want to do with your life, like that's not a career. And immediately like that was just completely shut down. So I always had it in my mind that I had to just get traditional job. And so I landed that pretty early. And I, I, kept, I kept on hearing from other people how lucky I was. And for a while, I felt okay in that job. For a while, I was really fulfilled in that job. And then I just got to a place where it just felt like, where do I go from here? When, when I get up in the morning, I don't feel motivated. I don't feel excited. And I wanted to feel that. So while I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, at that point in time, I knew that what I was doing just wasn't it. We work more time than we spend doing anything else, typically speaking. Doing something that you don't like, it makes the rest of your life really hard too, because everybody around you starts to feel the impact of your unhappiness and that you ultimately have to make that choice, not only for yourself, but to make sure that the relationships that you care about in your life don't suffer either. You obviously had the motivation and the ambition to to find something for yourself further. So were you the first person in your family to do that? Like, was that a pretty big deal? Yeah. So, okay. So my dad was actually in Canada long before I was, but I didn't really have a close relationship with him. So when we talk about my family and us moving away, I'm speaking more in the context of my mom and my sister who I grew up with, right? But my dad had moved away when I was a little girl and we still had some contact, but he just wasn't necessarily a present part of my life. When I moved here, um, I kind of reconnected with him. As for my my family that I spent my life around, yes, I was the first person. Were you scared doing that? Well, first and foremost, I was petrified because I was leaving a good job. That's something that so many people where I am from in Jamaica would have loved to have. And it was stable. There were good benefits. And I was leaving it for a one-year contract. You like really needed to make the most of that year. And I was coming to Canada on a work permit, which meant that at the end of that one year, if my contract wasn't renewed, if I didn't find some other way to legally remain in Canada, I would be going back to Jamaica. And I would be going back to pretty much nothing because I knew for sure there was no way I was going to get the kind of job that I had before. And that job wasn't even enough to sustain me <laughs> financially. So I, it was, it was, I was nerve, it was nerve wracking for sure. It's a lot of responsibility. I mean, I, I felt in some ways similarly when we moved cross country, it's obviously a very big difference in terms of moving to a different country. When you moved, were you moving by yourself? No. So when I moved to Canada, I was divorced then and I was a single mom to a five-year-old. And just like many other people who get an opportunity to go overseas and to make a better life for their families, many people who I know in Jamaica, the option that I had at the time was to leave my child behind. And I know so many people who have had to do that um, because they want to create better futures for their children. That was originally my plan that I was going to take this job. It was a live-in job. So I was going to be living with the people who I'm supporting and my son couldn't live there. So my plan was to leave my son with my mom in Jamaica. And two weeks before I was supposed to come like... 
I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't leave him. I had already resigned from my job in Jamaica and I didn't know what I was going to do. I remember I told you that my dad um, was already here and I reached out to him. He told me that my son could live with him. I didn't even feel like that was a, a good option either because he's my dad, but I really didn't know him like that. I was like, what am I doing? Okay, do I leave my son in Jamaica? And we were super close. Like my son is a mama's boy. So we did everything together. So it's not like, I just knew he wouldn't be able to deal with that. And I'm thinking, okay, at least if he's in Canada with me, he wouldn't be living where I'm living, but at least I'll still get to see him. I would soon learn that I would have to travel a far away to see him. <laughs> Canada's big. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was definitely not as easy as I thought it was going to be um, to see him, but I still got to see him. I left him with my dad and I was constantly worried because, as I said, it just felt like, oh my God, I'm such a horrible person. I just left my child with a complete stranger. And in the other hand, I'm thinking, I'm doing all of this for him because I'm trying to make sure that he has opportunities that I didn't have when he grows up. When I introduced you... It- I said that our stories dovetailed in some ways, and I want to be very clear that that is not one of the ways in which they dovetail. Um, it was more around our, our creative desires and and the way that we express ourselves. And so not to even act like I have a fraction of the understanding of what that emotional turmoil must be like to have to make a decision for yourself and for your son and knowing that this is something that you need to do. And if you don't do it, there's a bigger chance that like you're never going to have the options. So like, how do you ultimately make a choice that no matter what you do, isn't really what you want right now, but to see enough into the future and to say to yourself, like, I have to crush this. I have to do everything that I say that I'm going to do. And there's very little margin for error. I mean, the decision to make that kind of move in and of itself is extreme. One of the things I wanted to ask you is like, what was the most difficult thing about deciding to move away? That sounds like it's probably part of it. But was there anything culturally around just leaving Jamaica as a whole that you really felt like you were going to miss? I didn't necessarily feel sad about leaving anything. Um, Because sometimes when we're so used to things, we take them for granted. I think it was after I came, it hit me of how different life was in another country because I had only left Jamaica once and I was 12 years old at the time and I went on a school trip to Panama for three days. I never really got to experience like what living in another country, even for a week, was like. So I didn't really know what to expect. expect. And I was of the mindset that I'm just going to go and remain open. That's what I did. I think for me, the thing that was just hard and the thing that dang near nearly killed me was really my son. And whether or not I was making the best decision for him, because when you have those little lives (laughs) that are yours to protect, it's like... You're constantly in fear that you're going to do something that's going to mess them up for life. Well, I'm going to tell you something real quick, (laughs) Bianca. My wife and I have had this conversation several times, having gone to therapy ourselves and, and saying to my therapist when I first started, like, I don't need to go back to my childhood. It's not about that stuff, right? Like, no, it's totally about some of that stuff. And I've said it in other episodes before. Like, you just, you don't realize it um, when you're younger, right? Because sometimes you're just sort of going through the motions. And so I, I was listening to another podcast, Mark Groves. He made a comment that he had a relatively healthy childhood. And I can say the absolute same for myself. I think my parents did the best they could. I think that they love my sister and I more than I could ever fathom. And so like, I understand that love as a parent that you must feel in that and that pressure to not quote, screw something up. Right. But it's also part of the evolution of us as humans in that I'm sure that your parents did the best they could with you, right? And your mom did the best that she could with you and your sister and that you're doing the best you can with your sons. And at the same point in time, like there's always going to be something like you can't, you can't hope that it's going to be perfect and they're never going to feel like some sense of pain or, or feeling that like, oh, well, maybe if my parents had done something a little bit differently, maybe this wouldn't be the case because as you're going through those things, like you're using what you know and the experience that you have to create this opportunity for yourself and for your children. It's hard to put that kind of pressure on yourself, even though it's totally natural to do that is sort of what I'm, I'm rambling to say is that like, it's a completely rational feeling to have, but like, 
like, we're all going to screw somebody up in some way. So like, <laughs> you just got to show up. It's the least amount possible. Yep. 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 And that is, that is so true. Um, and even with me taking this job and taking this opportunity, me making that decision was mostly about my son because I saw myself becoming this person that I didn't want to be for him. Like I was working all the time. I was miserable all the time. Like that's not the mom that I wanted to be. I wanted to be the mom that is able to like put down work when work is done and to have that time with him and not be worried about, you know, like my next week's target and how am I going to make it? And, you know, like be full provider. Like what if I, I go on like performance improvement and what if I get fired? And I was dealing with all of those things and that was preventing me from being the kind of mom I wanted to be, but it didn't help me to become the kind of mom that I want, what that I've always wanted to be. So that's a beautiful thing to hear for sure. And I, you know, I feel like the fact that you're able to acknowledge that, that your happiness played a very significant factor in your ability to be that type of mom is something that I feel like more people need to acknowledge. And that goes back to what I said earlier about not really allowing ourselves to explore what makes us feel fulfilled as opposed to just doing what we think we're expected to do. And it's hard because you definitely grow up feeling a little bit unless you're like you have a ton of privilege, aka just like a trust fund and you don't really have to care about what you're doing with your life. And even if you do have that, you know, like money doesn't buy happiness. And I, and I stand by that statement, even though it buys a sense of security. And when you don't have the financial stability, I think it compounds the way that we feel unfulfilled because you're like, okay, I'm unhappy with what I'm doing and I'm not feeling like I'm stable financially, or I don't have that security. You try to kind of find this balance for yourself of what's going to make me happy and also do what I need it to do for me in terms of like the financial responsibilities that I have when you don't have a choice, you just do what you need to do. And I graduated with a diploma in my hand at the peak of the recession in 08, basically being like, great, I have a film degree. <laughs> Super. This is, this is exactly what I would have hoped for. And so I've spent a lot of time kind of digging out of this idea that, well, I went to chase that thing. I went to chase that creative drive that I had. And I remember saying to my mom, I don't care if I live in a box as long as I'm doing what makes me happy. Guess what? I moved back in with my parents. I wouldn't have been happy living in a box. <laughs> and, like, and it turns out that you really need a balance of those things. And we aren't really coached growing up that like those two things are very symbiotic and that you need to understand what makes you happy to understand also what will make you successful. Because ultimately, like at some point, there's a drop off that cliff where if you're not happy, then like your success sort of doesn't even matter. Or if you are not successful, then like how are you expected to be happy if you don't have a sense of self-worth? It's really interesting to just think about how much weight we put into that and why we end up making those decisions that we make and that, you know, I just, I'm certain that your son understands what you did for him. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure over the years, especially as he's seen your, your career and your life progress, that that's something that becomes more inspirational to him. And hopefully he now feels this sense of like, I want to do something that makes me happy because I see my mom doing something that makes her happy and look how good this is for our life and our family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree with, with all that you just said, 100%. My son was able to witness firsthand the kind of sacrifices that you have to make for your dreams. He was able to witness me change from being miserable mom to being the mom that is just chill and just so cool. Oh my God, he tells me all the time, my mom is so cool. Like, you're so cool. And all my friends wish they had a mom like you. You know, and I I was just able to just become a whole different person for him. And so as tough as this experience was, and I can't even begin to tell you how horrible it was. I'm talking about I was I was crying every day for the first at least four months in that job. Like every time I had a break, I was in tears. Every time I had a, a Skype conversation with him, I was in tears because the question is, when are you going to come home? When am I going to see you? And then when I did see him, it was only for two days, three days. And then I'm gone for another month. 
And I did that for a year and a half. And and it sounds like it was really, really hard for both of you because, I mean, it it's probably like this feeling of you're so close, you leave each other, you come back, you have a couple of days together, and it's almost, it's just like a tease. Yeah, it was a year and a half that I was in North Bay, Ontario. And um, after that, I... I still had to remain with this with the organization because I wasn't I I didn't yet have any options of remaining permanently in Canada. So it was either I stay with this organization or I go home um to Jamaica. Those were my options and and there are many days where it felt like okay, maybe you should just take that option. And then I'm thinking about okay, well, how am I going to pay my bills? I have no money, I have no job in Jamaica. I have no savings like where am I going? And so uh, for me, I had to come up with ways to stay sane and ways to help my son to my five-year-old to understand. And I used to just spend my work days just looking forward to those three days. And we would do like this countdown together and plan the three days. So we would plan exactly how we're going to spend those three days. Oh my God, this is getting me all emotional. Like (laughs) we would spend the month on the phone, like just planning, okay, everything we're going to do when we see each other. Like my three days were just all about him. Um, It was actually during this period that I met my husband and I remember I met my husband on Facebook and he lived in Toronto. And every time I came from North Bay to Toronto, he would always message me like, oh, can we meet in person? Yada, yada, yada. And I was like, uh-uh. These three days that I have, they are just for my son. And I'm not going to be sharing those three days with anyone. And so I was like on the phone with my husband, my now husband, but I was on, on the phone with him at the time for like months without meeting face to face because I made up my mind. I was not going to share my time with anyone else. And he didn't actually meet me until I got my two weeks vacation. And it was on one of those days that I thought, okay, you know, since I'm going to be here for two weeks, I can throw this guy a bone. I can, yeah. I can, <laughs> I throw this guy a bone. And I saw him on, I think it was the day before I left to go back to North Bay. But um, that was what it was like for us. And it was, it was very hard because, you know, you touched on something earlier that no matter if it's someone that's close to you, a family member or whoever, there's no one that's going to care for your child the way that you do. No one is you. And for me, that was, that was it. That was, it was me knowing, yes, he's okay. You know, um, my dad hired someone to take care of him. Um, So he had um, a caregiver helping my dad, but it just, there was still that void. It still wasn't me. And I could see that was hurting him and I could, and it was definitely killing me. And so that became my motivation. Like I was determined to make this pay off. Like it had, there was no way I was going back to Jamaica because it, the time that I'd spent away from him had to be worth it. And for me, that meant us being able to remain in Canada legally. And for me to be able to get that um, by any means necessary, I was gonna, you know, like ensure that I accomplished that goal of getting that green card, so you call it in America, um, of getting that green card for us to be able to stay here and for him to have a better life and for me to be able to be the kind of mom that I always wanted to be and be able to follow my dreams pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's just so incredible to hear, Bianca, because I, I really admire just the level of dedication that you put forward for your son, right? Like, I mean, I know it started out as you needing to feel more fulfilled, but you tied that so closely to your purpose as a mother as well. And so when you were going through this process, um, you know, we, we spoke before, um, that you, you really made a huge career shift going from basically banking into your, your next career move. Um, so when you moved to Canada, the first position you had, um, I don't believe was in media production, but you ended up pursuing, um, education in media production. Is that correct? Yes. So the job that I was in, I was a social and community services worker, pretty much. Um, So just uh, living with people who had disabilities and just assisting them with their daily lives. So that was the job. I had zero training. (laughs) 
<laughs> for this job. Um, the organization, they, they hired a lot of international people back then because they had like some sort of, I guess, contract or agreement with the Canadian government to hire international people because then they were able to pay us uh, significantly less than... <laughs> That sounds accurate. They would. Yeah, Canadian. So I didn't even, when I just came here, I was earning less than I was earning in Jamaica. So when all my friends thought I made some sort of money move, I didn't. Like, I was suffering. <laughs> you, you moved for the opportunity. How'd you get from that ultimately to your pivoting, basically, to your desire to really become a storyteller full-time? While I was... Um, in that position. And I do feel like it was just divine alignment. You know, sometimes you're, you're in a place where you feel like I don't really want to be there, but that's exactly where you need to be. I became a mom when I was 20 years old. Um, I was in college at the time. I switched from part-time to full-time so that I could, um, sorry, I I switched from full-time to part-time so that I could take a full-time job. Um, And I never even finished that degree because I was just, I didn't want to lose more time with my son. So I was working full time and going to school and it was just a lot. So um, when I moved to Canada and I was in this living job, I had more time for myself than I had had in years because I was a single mom um, my, 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 my son's father and I divorced like when my son was a year old and I was alone in it pretty much. So, um, my only support was my mom, you know? So I'd never really been the person that had any free time. I went nowhere. I just worked and spent time with my son. That was all I did when I was in Jamaica. So moving to Canada and having, um, downtime where, I didn't have my son around me actually caused me to rediscover my love for storytelling because the stories that I used to write as a child, like I left those in my childhood. Like I stopped writing when I was maybe 15, 16, and I'd never picked up a pen again to write anything in the form of a story um, for like 10 years. Um, And then when I, had those downtimes, I started writing again. I started watching movies again. Like I fell in love with television again. I fell in love with just the stories, period. And even though I couldn't see the future and I didn't know like, okay, if I would even ever get my permanent residence in Canada, if I'd even, if I would ever achieve that green card, I knew that if I did that is what I was going to pursue. So my mind was already made up that as soon as I got it, the first thing I'm doing is that I'm going back to school Um, because I needed to make sure that I was able to, to hone uh, my skills and to, to be the best storyteller that I could possibly be. So that is kind of how it happened. Like just having that downtime just led to me rediscovering that passion and Um, It took me two and a half years to achieve that green card. So after I spent a year and a half in North Bay, I got a transfer to the same organization, but in Toronto. Um, So I was still living in, but then I could see my son now every week um, as opposed to every month. So that was a big change for me. Um, And it was easier on him, of course. And then a year later, I got my green card and... Right after I got it, that September, I got it in April, and that September, I started um, school uh, studying broadcasting and film production. That's super cool. I mean, and and I just respect that so much, Bianca, because it's certainly something that I don't think a lot of people can do. Um, In general, I think taking the leap of faith that you took, knowing that it wasn't going to be more financially secure than where you were leaving, to then say, I'm going to take all this time away from my son who I spend so much time with, 
um, you know, who, who's basically the light of your life, it sounds like in a lot of ways, uh, as, as you tend to think a lot um, with parents and their children and to have to give that up and to just sort of trust that things are going to go the way that you want them to go if you commit to it enough. It's a lot of risk and you took it and it seems like it's really paying off, you know, like you have your own podcast now. I love listening to it. Uh, we talked about it briefly in the beginning, Once Broken podcast. And, um, you know, there's something very obvious about you as a storyteller, which is that you, you show up as you are like this conversation is no different than yes. the conversations <laughs> I've heard you have on your podcast. It's no different than the conversation that then we had last week. Like there's just some, some beautiful light within you that really radiates and allows the people that you speak with to sense that, that you're, you're charismatic and you have, a, a desire to make sure that the truth is captured in a way that is meaningful and to be able to hear your story and understand, you know, in context a little bit more about the decisions that you've made, it's just really powerful. And I think that people really, excuse me, really love to understate um, the rigor and the the dedication that it takes to move to a completely new place, to move to a new country that is unfamiliar to you in so many ways. I mean, the fact that you had never traveled internationally um, for more than a few days at, in your adolescence, like, that's even bigger. You know, it's not like you knew where you were going and you knew what to expect. Like you were just like, fuck it. I guess this is what's going to happen now. <laughs> and, and you, and you went for it and you're, a living, breathing success story in that, you know? And, and I know that from our conversations, I'm guessing you're probably a little bit similar to me in that, you know, you're kind of chasing lightning in a way where it's like, well, I've gotten to this next step, but I want that other step because I want to really validate myself and I want to continue to, to grow and to help and to create a wonderful life for myself and my family. But like, sometimes it's good to look in the rear view mirror yep. and be like, <laughs> I did all that shit look at what I did. And it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to hear that because it's extremely admirable and it's certainly no, no small weight, you know? Um, so what are you most proud of when you look back on your journey and see how far that you've come? I'm most proud of my resilience because I wasn't treated very well, at least not in the, the first instance or the first year that I was here. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy job. It was very little pay. I couldn't even pay my bills that I left back home. That was how bad it was. And there were many times that I wanted to give up like many, many times. And I tried so many ways to find a new opportunity. Like I applied for so many jobs that I was qualified for, but everyone said the same thing. Um, you, of course, you, of course, need to have your green card. Like they're not willing to go through the paperwork that is needed to get you to be able to, to work for them. And so there were, there was a lot of rejection. I tried so hard to find somewhere else to work so that I could be closer to my son. Um, there was so much rejection, even with my permanent, even with trying to get my permanent residence, like it wasn't smooth sailing. Like the first time I applied, I got a letter to say that, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. Um, I had an, I had a situation where just because of um, an error on my employer's part with my documentation, my work permit, my renewal work permit was denied. And I was out of work <laughs> for months here um, while I waited on them to reprocess it. So there were a lot of hiccups and a lot of opportunities to just give up. A lot of times where I just felt like I needed to just give up. And I, I honestly felt like if I didn't have my son, I probably would have. But in the back of my mind was always... I've already spent six months away from him. I have to make the six months worthwhile. Or I've already spent eight months away from him. I have to make it worthwhile. And that was the thing that kept me going. So I think that's what I'm most proud of because just thinking about some of the things that I went through um, here, like, I just, I don't know if under normal circumstances, like a lot of people would have been able to 
survive that and to to stick it out. And so I'm proud of myself for for doing that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like that's you should a hundred percent be proud of that because it's not easy to not. We were t- talking about that security, right? And it's not just financial, it's emotional security. I mean, you weren't around people you knew, right? Like, so you're away from your son, you're not around people you know and love, you're dealing with a situation that is less than satisfactory and possibly even damaging to you in some ways. And you're sitting there going like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, what is the point? And why am I here right now? And it's a really incredible thing that you kept coming back to your son sort of as that anchor of like what the why you needed to do it. And at the same time, I think it just, it's not to discount that you, you ultimately were also doing that for yourself, right? Because in order to, yeah, to have that resilience. Um, yes, I think that, uh, I think that we have these external motivators and I think there's that intrinsic motivation as a mother that you'd be like, I want to provide the best life for my child. But that all started happening because you saw something within yourself that needed to change and that you weren't going to be happy if you let yourself continue down a path in life that left you feeling like something else was missing. And what's really quite amazing, if I think about it from what you've said to me and put it into context is, you know, you've now met your husband and you have another baby. Like these are things that if you hadn't made that leap, like, you don't know that those situations would have played out the same way. They probably wouldn't have, if I'm guessing based on just sort of how you mentioned meeting, right? Like, why would you have that contact? So, I mean, it's it's just sometimes I, I personally, like I get really caught up and they're like, well, how am I going to make this work or what's going to happen? And you had said something earlier along the lines of like, you know, not really going in the direction necessarily that we have planned. And I will tell you that, the things that I have expected the most of myself in this life when I've planned them have very rarely gone the way that I would have wanted them to. But when they go wrong is actually when I find so much more of myself and so much more freedom to exist with sort of that flow of the universe and the way things are happening. And it just feels like your story encapsulates that, you know, like you took the gamble, you knew you needed to take the gamble, you questioned the gamble because we always do. And then it's like, look at where you are this many years later and you're seeing the success for yourself. You you're in a, a marriage with a new child and your son is telling you how awesome you are and how all the other kids wish their moms were like you. I mean, you're fucking nailing it. <laughs> like you're, you're doing a pretty good job, you know? So I, I, I think that it's, it's amazing that that resilience is, is something that you can look at and be so proud of. And I think from an outside perspective and only knowing you so briefly and, and not in three dimensions at this point, it's still something that from an outside perspective, just hearing how you've come from a certain environment and a certain way of thinking about yourself and what you needed and turning that into what you actually want. Um, it's okay that we want that to continue to evolve, but like you've captured the essence of what it is that you need and you continue to work towards that. And it's very, very admirable and I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by it. So I'm so glad that you're able to share that story and that you do have your own platform for it too, because I love listening to your podcasts. I mean, it took me all of two seconds to hear your voice and, and just immediately understand that you are an empathetic person who wants to capture the raw realness of our lives. And you're doing that and you're doing that while you're succeeding in these other aspects of your life that took a really big toll on you to get there. And it's just, it's really worth noting that that's something that a lot of people I think see externally and don't understand the layers of complexity that there are going into that. Because if I only just met you now and I didn't have that context, it would be like, well, that's cool. Like you have podcasts and you got some kids and you have this good job. You know, it's like that, that, that seems like it makes sense. You touched on something just now, which I, I think is so important to point out um, because I did do it for I did it for me as well. I think that when things got tough, it was it was easier or it came more naturally to focus on my son 
being the motivating factor um, because that was the extra push that I needed. But then, of course, like, I had hopes and dreams for myself, too. I had hopes and dreams of what being a person in Canada with a green card would look like. Like, the, you know, like, the, the opportunities that would um, open up for me and where I could take my life. Like, I, I have always known that there was something really special that I needed to do. I just got goosebumps when you said that. I love it so much. I feel the same way. I, I it's like I don't even know what that is yet, but I feel like I'm 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 going in the right direction, and that's the part that's really important, right? Like I'm at least on the right track. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely still figuring it out. But ever since I was a little child, I I just knew. And Oprah said this once too, so I feel like I'm in good company because she said that you knew since she was a little child that there was something special about her and there are some special things that she needed to do. And, and, and that's the truth. And I used to be afraid to say this out loud for fear that people would think that I'm being cocky or I feel like I'm better than someone else because that's not it. It's just that I just knew that there is a calling on my life to do something that is going to leave a mark it's going to make a difference for some people and at the time when i left jamaica i just knew that i had to take that step while my son was kind of like at the front of my mind because i wanted to be reunited with him so getting that green card meant i would have my son and be able to care for him the way i wanted to but then the second layer of that is that it would give me the opportunity to start fulfilling this life goal that I don't know exactly what it is. And I'm still trying to figure out (laughs) post green card, but I'm definitely getting there. No, I love that you tied back to that. And I think it's, it's just so perfectly articulated. There's not even more I can say to it. I think, I think you nailed that. And, you know, as we sort of think about what that future holds for you, what is it that you think that you want at this moment um, to be able to continue to head down that creative path? Is it expanding on the podcast that you have now? Is it moving in a different direction? I know we've talked about filmmaking and things like that. So is there something that really stands out to you that you'd love to be able to dive into a little bit deeper than maybe you have already? Uh, There are so many things that I am passionate about doing. Um, You mentioned filmmaking. I in and when I went into college to study filmmaking, I, my goal was to become a screenwriter. I had written like two completely shitty screenplays. And you know, once you've got at least one, you are a bona fide screenwriter. I realized pretty early on that I didn't enjoy working on set per se. I just love the storytelling aspect of it and watching that story come to life. I love the writing part of it. And so took my time in school to really hone that skill of writing. But then somewhere along the line, I fell in love with documentary filmmaking. And I think that's because even even though before I never watched a whole lot of documentaries, I think it's that element of me just wanting to tell real stories. Just like with my podcast, like I just want to hear, I want to hear your truth. I don't want to hear the truth that you want other people to hear. And if you're going to sugarcoat the story, then you're probably not the best fit for the conversation with me because I'm all about, like, let's talk about it because somebody out there is probably going through what you have been through and are feeling really shitty about it and feeling all alone and they need to hear that somebody else survived this and that's what it was always about for me so I kind of fell in love with documentary filmmaking so that's something that I kind of have in my back pocket right now for now it's all about writing so I'm working on my memoir I started that three years ago and I remember sending the first chapter to someone and I remember him saying to me something along the lines of why do you want to put your business out there like why do you want to tell people these things about you and he's like you better be careful about write what you write because you know like you can't take it back once you've published this stuff and so I put down my memoir And I never looked at it for, I was really discouraged because this was uh, a mentor, someone I was really close to. And this year I picked up that memoir again and I started writing again. 
And this time I'm like, I'm going for it. And not only am I going to write about the things that this air quotes friend told me not to write about, I'm going to write about a whole lot more because I feel like the more that I tell my story, the more I heal from my story. Like I've, I've been through some things, Nikki, that <laughs> I don't even know if you'd be able to process them because as I am writing my book, I'm having a hard time processing them. I'm like, what the hell? How did this happen to me? Like, why did this happen to me? And how am I still here? Like, this is crazy. So that's where I'm at right now. Just getting that truth out there on paper and just focusing on the podcast, which was really supposed to be a one season. Funny story about my podcast. I listened to my first podcast in November 2019. And the first time I heard a podcast, I was like, I need to have a podcast. And a month later, I had a podcast. <laughs> I think that says a lot about who you are as a person that you're like, I want this thing. I'm going to do it. Here we go. So Buckle I listened up. to a podcast November 2019 and I launched my podcast December 2019. And my whole thing was it was going to be talking about some of the things that I've been through and hoping that it will reach somebody and people get healed from it and understand that they too can overcome their brokenness and find healing and find redemption. But what happened is that I did like, I think maybe two episodes about myself and then people started reaching out to me and being like, hey, like, I would love to tell my story on your podcast. And then I started interviewing people and I fell so in love with interviewing people that I pretty much stopped talking about myself because now I want to hear y'all's story. <laughs> uh, it's been so eye-opening and I've met such remarkable people like through my podcast and I'm so grateful. You, like, you have no idea. I am so grateful to be able to do this kind of work this kind of unpaid work um, <laughs> kind of passionate work passionate <laughs> yes that's a that's a better word to use yes this kind of passionate work and I am loving it so much and I'm just excited to see where it takes me it, it's so relatable in a lot of ways to me. Um, like I went to school for documentary filmmaking. I always sort of knew that I wanted to be telling stories and especially when it came to understanding what's real, right? Um, even just as a kid, like I, when I would read books, I was reading biographies. I very rarely read fiction. And um, I also wrote a lot of poetry. So I think that like part of our creative souls are very aligned in that way too, is that you, you seek this truth and you want to share that truth. And I, you know, to be honest, there's this part of me that's like, I, I understand that people are afraid of what it means to be honest and that your former friend and mentor saw that as vulnerability possibly creating some sort of problem for you. And at the end of the day, the way I feel about it is if you can't show up as yourself and you're spending your time catering to your concerns about what other people are going to think, who are you living for and what are you doing all of this for if you can't be honest with yourself? There's a lot of things in my own life as well that I am afraid to talk about. Uh, the last interview that I did, somebody was like, I think some, I think people should be talking to you. I think you need to tell more of your story. Obviously, you've been through some shit and you're not talking about it because I want to hear about other people and I want to know other people and have their stories really resonate as well. And I've tried doing some of the solo episodes and I just, it's hard because I sit there and I talk and I think to myself, well, who's going to care what I say or does this matter to anybody? And um, I do want to do a bit more of that. I've been trying a little bit on like Instagram stories to show a little bit more of who I am outside of episodes. And at the same time, there's this part of me that's like, there's a combination of those two things that I think are really important because as we go through these interviews and we're talking to people about their lives and their truths and, and what they've been through, it really opens up your mind and your heart to, to yourself and what you've been through. And she started writing something very recently as well. Like I joked with my friends about writing a memoir and I kept coming back to like, but what's happened? You know, like what's like, what's the hook? And it's like, maybe there doesn't need to be a hook. Maybe the hook is that people are engaged with who you are as a person and they care to understand more. And I think that's where you and I really align when it comes to the interview side of things is like, 
it doesn't need to be this giant profound thing that has happened that everybody can be like, holy shit, I can't believe it. Like, it's not that it's sometimes those real human moments that we overlook are the ones that are the most powerful. And those are the ones we need to be sharing and we need to be expressing because for you to be able to be more open about your story and the same thing with myself, like it's both cathartic to us and also potentially to other people. And even I, I'm of the mindset where it's like, if it changes something for one person, at least I feel like it was worth saying something. Yes, yes. And I mean, I I really do feel like you you should go for it. Like that <laughs> you just said something. Um, who's gonna care? There are tons of people who will care. Sometimes just because you aren't getting people aren't saying anything to you doesn't mean that they aren't being impacted. I remember there's a post that you made and that post is when I knew like I need to like have some sort of like communication outside of just liking this person's posts. Um, it was one where you were talking about some stuff that happened when you were younger. I think it was in junior high or something. It was just sharing about when you realized that you were gay and just how people treated you. And I mean, I connected with that story on a different level, not because I could understand exactly how you felt, but because I was once that girl too, who didn't fit in, who wanted to fit in, who was hiding who I was so that I could fit in. And, you know, kind of having to deal with being ostracized by people and like all of those stuff. And I felt like I could truly see you. I had been following your podcast for a while before that, but that was when I felt like I could really see you. And I didn't even comment on, I don't even think I commented on the post. I don't even think I said anything to you about the post, but I also shared the post with my husband. And I was like, oh my God, like, I just love what this woman is doing. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) I'm just letting you know that like a lot of times, like just because people, it doesn't mean that people aren't being inspired by your work. If you, I mean, those the feedback is good to hear. But I just feel like you have to get to a place within you where you just know that, listen, this story is worth telling because there's someone out there who's going to really be inspired. I just feel like a lot of times we're questioning, questioning ourselves. Like, you know, like, as you just said, like, who, who is really going to care about this story? And I just feel like a lot of times tons of people care. Yeah, that's so... Uh, that's so touching. Thank you so much for saying that and sharing that with me. It, it means a lot. And you're right. It is, it's a delicate balance because in order to be successful in something like this and, and to, let's put it this way, to be, be successful in so far as making something like this a career, like this is something you can do full time. It's not just for passion, it's for pay. People cater so much to what the expectation is, right? Like what are people going to want? Like how am I going to do it the way that people expect it to be done? And it's actually, I think the unexpected that really changes things for people. And maybe you don't expect to hear somebody being honest about those things, or it's uncomfortable for a second to realize that somebody went through something. But when you hear that and you know more, um, like you said, people, you're able to see people more. And that like profoundly touches me that you phrased it that way too, because there was a point in time in my therapy early on where my therapist said something to me about that. And I was like, whatever the fuck that means. We need to be open-minded enough to believe that like sharing something isn't going to always be a detriment to us. And I think growing up with certain um, like implications about who we are as people or self views in those ways, you know, it's, it's hard to pull ourselves out of that. And it requires a lot of energy and a lot of work to change how we see ourselves. But I, but I think, you know, like that part of it's really important to understand and, and really ask ourselves, am I afraid to tell this story because it's not something that should be told? Or am I afraid to tell this story because I'm worried what other people will think? And there's a big difference between those two things. Oh my God. Listen, I am dealing with this right now. I wrote, I just finished the third chapter of my memoir and I'm struggling with that. That that idea that you just brought up there, like, 
is this one of those things that I should keep close to myself? Because there are, there are those things that everybody, everybody doesn't need to know this. Or is it that I'm just scared of how people will see me when they find this out, find out when they find out about this, what is my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? And there's another part of me where it's, that it's like, listen, this needs to be told because somebody's 13 year old daughter may be dealing with what I was dealing with at 13 that I'm writing about in the memoir right now. Maybe this can give them some insight into what is going on. It's also really hard because one of the things that you said was when you're processing something on your own, right? Um, you to revisit it and to revisit it with the knowledge that you have now and the sense of self that you have now can be both enlightening and terrifying. And when you expose something that is really vulnerable to you that maybe you haven't shared with anybody or a very limited amount of people, and you know that that could be something that it becomes a lot more well-known. My hope is when I do that and when anybody else does that is that people see that as an act of bravery as opposed to anything else in that it's something that's so hard to communicate that you're hesitating to say it or write it, knowing that people will react in different ways. But at the end of the day, the thing that matters is that you're being honest with yourself. And if it's something that's going to help you tell your story, then everybody else can fuck off. Like it's, it's not, it's not their, it's not their responsibility to tell you what parts of your life are exposed. And it's about what level of comfort and, and trust you have in yourself to share that um, and know that you'll be okay if you do that. So my, my feeling on that specific thing, and it's so much easier said than done. And I'm a hundred percent, like I should be listening to what I'm saying to myself right now. Like you, you have every right to be fully honest about who you are and what you've experienced. And if people can't take that, that's more on them than it is on you. And it's not about what people want to hear or think is okay, because guess what? That, that's real life. Like These are things that we've gone through. We're not making things up to make you uncomfortable. We're talking about things that have happened because if you don't understand these things are happening, then how can you possibly begin to change the things that have happened? Like in and and removing those stigmas from these conversations and moving in a more progressive way towards self healing, healing as a society, healing as a culture, like getting to these points in our lives where it's less about me sharing something about myself and like what the implication of that is, and more about like what does somebody sharing a deeply personal story mean for how we treat other people who might be going through these same types of situations? Because it's scary, it's scary as hell to be real, be yourself, and own that and admit we make mistakes, we fuck up, we make people uncomfortable sometimes. Like, I can go on and on about the things that I would be embarrassed about that I do, but I am who I am, and you know what you're getting, so at the very least. I'm awkward, but I'm real about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that's, that's all it's about for me right now. Just getting to a place where I'm just being my most authentic self and just being real. That's who I want to be remembered as when I leave this life. As someone who was authentic in her living, in her storytelling, in who she was, um, in every sense of the word. And that's what it's about for me right now. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a really great way to to wrap this up because I feel like that's exactly the, <laughs> that's exactly the goal. You know, I, I think that you've shared so much about your experience and about how you've gotten where you are. And there's obviously so many layers. And for anybody who wants to know more about Bianca, uh, this incredible human being, she has her podcast once broken. Check it out. I will be adding links to all the things that you can click and sharing stuff on social, but. Bianca, this has been such an amazing conversation and truly touching in a lot of ways. So I'm so glad we got to spend this time together. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And Nikki, it was something you said earlier, and it is so true. Like, this just feels like the conversation that we had last week, you know, no recording, just chatting. It feels like every text we've had, just so genuine, so 
authentic, so real. Yeah, I just enjoyed every minute. Thank you so much for having me and for being so open and for sharing your story with me as well. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. A big thank you to Bianca for sharing her story and her time. Don't forget to check out her show, Once Broken, wherever you get your podcasts. Visit whothefck.com slash donate to support Matthew House Toronto, whose purpose is to inspire hope, restore dignity, and empower independence for refugee claimants. Plus, make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast wherever you listen. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and share a little love by rating the show too. Until next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the my name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid.